It's good to see all of you tonight. I want to talk with you for the next four weeks about bouncing back, developing your life survival skills. And what I want to do over the next four weeks is give you an understanding of how to overcome the obstacles and the challenges that you are currently facing and the ones that you will inevitably face in your lives. All of us in this room could use to develop those types of skills. And I'm gonna, I've got an article tonight that I brought that I want to read to you of what many are saying about the next millennium and the most important skills it's going to take to survive in this new century. I cut this out of a newspaper about a year ago. What I want you to think of tonight is I want you to think of me as your personal life trainer and spiritual coach. Okay? And that's what I want you to do for the next four weeks. So I'm going to read this to you. President Clinton has it, so they say, and Monica Lewinsky needs it. Christopher Reeves is the epitome of it. Even the stock market is exhibiting classic signs. Over the next few years, you'll be hearing more and more about it than the Y2K computer problem, which never happened. In fact, it may help solve Y2K. The it that we're speaking of is resilience. The ability to get through, get over, and thrive after trauma, trials, and tribulation. Instead of asking why bad things happen to good people, researchers are now focusing on how good people can best overcome bad events or situations in their lives. Some go as far as to call resilience the it skill of the new millennium. <clears throat> because our lives are constantly under stress in the 90s and now, of course, in the new millennium, because change is everywhere, we realize we cannot just look for calm waters anymore, says Froma Walsh, Ph.D. co-director of the Center for Family Health at the University of Chicago and author of the recent Strengthening Family Resilience. We have to find a way to thrive in the face of these stresses. Resilience means we can be challenged and not break down. Indeed, resilience is fast becoming the talent du jour. Schools across the country are abandoning self-esteem programs <clears throat> in favor of resilience lessons. Companies such as Questar and Salt Lake City offer employees resilience training and job placement firms such as the Rhode Island-based Lee Hecht Harrison Career Service sponsor seminars in career resilience. Prominent psychologists such as University of Pennsylvania Martin E. Seligman, author of the classic Learned Optimism, are campaigning for new positive psychology that builds on strengths and doesn't just treat problems. On the nation's bookshelves, more than 20 personal development books about resilience have come out in the past year alone, and self-improvement gurus such as Tony Robbins now tout bounce-back skills. Even in the sciences, resilience is now a serious business, with the National Cancer Institute recently called for a more study of resilient cancer patients, those who survive the worst possible odds, to better understand why they survive. The irony of all of this is that for over a thousand years, the Bible has been written and the Bible is all about resiliency in life. The Bible is all about experiencing the power of God and the grace of God in our day-to-day -day living. God does not expect us to live life alone. He doesn't abandon us. As Celeste was singing in the song tonight, His grace really is sufficient for us in the difficulties that we face. Now... There are two basic approaches to life. 
One approach is to try to figure out why I'm here and why I am the way I am and, and how in the world I change it. And the other approach of life is to, to look at your life and face the fact that, look, there are problems, there are obstacles in my life. So what I want to do is I want to give you a little demonstration, okay? And I don't think you'll forget this, but I, I want to give you an illustration of what some of us are like in the room. Now, before I give you this illustration, I have two of them. What I want you to understand is this. All of us in this room can learn skills and abilities and belief system, which I'm going to get into in the next week, that will help us overcome obstacles in our life. But unless we develop that character, what will happen is obstacles will get the best of us. Now, I have demonstration here. First of all, I call this hacky sack. It's kind of cute, kind of pretty. This represents... The, I'm generalizing tonight, ladies. The average female. Life comes along, and that's about all that happens. She gets hit upside the head. She has these emotional barriers. And try as she might, there's not much bounce in her. Kind of soft, kind of squishy, and cute to look at. Okay, now don't take it personal, okay? Now we got the guys here. They're kind of bland. Kind of tough, kind of hard. And they think they're really macho, you know? Life comes along, hits them, and not much life in the guy. You know, maybe once, maybe twice, three times, he's down. Okay? But then, you have the perfect mix of the individual, male or female, who's developed these extraordinary skills in their life, and they just keep on going and going and going and going and going and going. And you know the interesting thing is, the harder that you hit them, the harder and farther that they bounce. As you can tell, if you could catch that, don't anyone get injured. We don't have liability insurance. Okay, I'll collect that after the service. That's an autographed copy, by the way, right there. So did you see that? You got the hacky sack. Some of us, male or female, I was just kind of joking. We're like the hacky sack. We're just kind of soft, we're kind of squishy, but life comes along, smacks us, and boom, we just kind of flatten out. Some of us, we kind of got that tough exterior, we're kind of rough, we think we're kind of tough, but, and maybe we are. You know, maybe we're a macho wrestler, maybe we're a tough athlete, male or female. But you know what? Being a tough athlete doesn't make you emotionally tough. And life comes along, or maybe there are things in your past. Here's what's interesting about people. They can, they can be successful in business, they can be successful in sports, but their personal emotional life is falling apart. You've got CEOs of companies who are making multi-millions of dollars in stock options and they're seeing their companies grow and they can command and they can dictate and they're authoritative, but they can't overcome the fact that their daddy didn't love them and they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to treat anybody else with kindness and they're stuck. You've got pro athletes who are tremendous on the field, can't control themselves at home and don't know how to deal with it when their wife doesn't accept them, so they smack her. You got ladies who are great on the soccer field or they're great at whatever endeavor they're in and then they get into a relationship and a little tiny thing happens and they go home and cry and they're all bent out of shape. Now, now I'm going to one more demonstration, okay? This is going to take a little more dexterity on my part. Now, I'm going to show you what a non-resilient person is like. Again. They just kind of like this basketball. 
And the lack of air inside of this ball represents no resilient skills. Okay? Now, this represents what's happened to your life after I get done with you. Okay? So you got to watch this. Okay, now we insert this needle. And we place our foot here. I've been practicing this at home. This, this takes tremendous power. I want you to know that. The strength in this one arm alone could crush a walnut. It's incredible. Now, you can't go too far, you see. If you pump it up too much, it's going to explode. Oh, we're almost there. See, I do this without a valve or anything. I just kind of know this from experience. And then all of a sudden, well, look at that thing go. This is resilient skills. You see that? You know, I was really good at basketball. I can do left-handed. I got a great crossover dribble, kind of like Allen Iverson. But I won't show you because I got this other thing in my, my hand. Okay, now you understand that? You're not going to forget that. I'm sure you're not going to forget that. You may think it's ticky-tack. That's fine with me. The point is, is you remember it. All right? So what I want to do over the next four weeks, I want to put air in your ball. I want to put air in your life. I want to put air in your ability, in your character. Now, what you'll get the next four weeks is knowledge. Okay? You get knowledge, you get understanding. But unless you do something with it, then it isn't going to help you. Okay? What we're going to do, and what we want to help train you to do, is instead of focusing on the hardships in your life, which is very easy to do. Let's face it, for all of us, it's very easy to focus on difficulties in our lives. We can sit at school with friends, we can sit at work with friends, and it's whine, 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 moan, moan, moan. <clears throat> And, and I can get there too. I mean, there's obstacles in our life. They come along and they can just, you know, the other day. My daughter's car, she got this car recently. And so they're driving over to a funeral and they call me on the cell phone and said, Dad, a brake light just came on and the alternator light. Well, that's not a good sign. I said, uh, I just try to get where you're going as fast as you can. If the alternator goes bad and then the battery wears out, it'll just die right on the highway. The car will just die. So get there, call me back, let me know if, it's, if it'll try and start it again. So they called, it started, they got home okay. So the next day, I took it immediately and got a new alternator put on it, $300. About a week later, fortunately I was back in town from Kansas City. My daughter calls from the bus station where she parked. She said, Dad, I just got here, the lights started going dim, the fans started going off, and, and then I tried to restart, it wouldn't start. Now I got to admit, my attitude wasn't the greatest. I was kind of ticked off. Not at her. She had nothing to do with it. But these moron mechanics, can't they get anything right? You know, I knew it was some problem. These, these guys didn't do their job. And, and, and the bad thing about it was when I went to the auto shop, I got there at quarter to seven, right before they opened. I was the first guy in. He goes, oh, yep, it's the alternator. We did a test. I said, hey, no problem. I got a meeting at eight o'clock. So, uh, oh, no problem. We'll get it here. 8.30 comes, 9.30 comes, all because one little moron couldn't deliver a part in two hours and he's only a half a mile away. Well, you see, I can let that get to my day. Or I can overcome the emotional obstacle that somebody put in my way. You know, it's kind of like, you ever walk down the hall of school or at work and somebody trips you? How do you deal with that? Do you get up smack them in the face? <laughs> do you get up and go, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Didn't mean to trip over your foot and go on with your day. Okay, now, here's the, here's the thing about life. The thing about life in the grown-up world, and you're learning this, is that people don't just stick out a leg. 
They do a lot more than that. They throw cars in your way. They throw terrible service in your way. They throw pathetic attitudes in your way. And you have to deal with it. And it's a lot worse than being tripped. And it's really easy sometimes to get up. And you know, I can, for me, I can feel it. The fires in my eyes. The rage. The, you. <sighs> Breathe deep. Breathe, Mark. Walk away from this. Calm down, you know. Do not let this. But, but I'll tell you something. When I was young, the very things I'm going to share with you, I've had to learn. And I have to apply every day of my life. Okay? And it's not like, you know, I'm the guru, and now I'm above having to apply the very things I tell you. But what I'm telling you is these kind of things used to ruin my entire day. Not an hour of my day. I would have carried something like that inside of me all day long. And I would have sought to make everyone else's life as miserable as I was feeling. Anybody else ever try to do that in their life? You know, and you're lying to me. I know you're liars. You're liars. You don't want to be no liar. See, you be honest and you can grow. If you're not, what can I say? Some of you may be the quiet steamer. You may not be vocal and verbal. You may just kind of the person who finally explodes, you know, after being silent for all those years. So I took it back. I just barely, I, I had, I walked, I drove my car over, walked over, and it wasn't going to start as parked. It's really cold, and I'm thinking, man, I do not have time for this today. I got other more important things to do. And I'm thinking to myself, and I sure hope that girl appreciates all the trouble that I'm going to to try to help her out. Little pity party there for a brief moment. Get the car started, and I get there, leave it running, then it dies. The guy gets it in the shop. Oh, we're sorry, Mr. Darling. Uh, oh, one of the wires, we didn't tighten it tight enough. I said, excuse me, what happened? Oh, we didn't tighten the wire tight enough. I said, with alternator, something was bad with it? No, sir, we didn't tighten the wire tight enough. So I had to walk a mile there and walk a mile back to get it when it was ready. And, but you know what? We dealt with the obstacle and we overcame it. But life's got a lot more obstacles than that. So first thing that I want to share with you this week is resilience skill number one. So let me read this. So what makes a person resilient? Dr. Werner and others say one of the most important skills is the ability to be and feel connected to other people. In studies of children who have come from abusive home situations and then gone on to lead successful and happy lives, almost all found an adult or mentors outside the immediate family, a grandmother, a minister, a friend, who gave them a sense of being loved and important. Studies also have shown, Werner says, that elder mentors can make a difference even later in life. Unfortunately, notes the University of Chicago's Walsh, that message is a hard sell in a culture that has the myth of the rugged individual who's supposed to pull himself or herself up by the bootstraps. Yet strong relationships pop up near the top of every list of resilience skills. It is one of the seven key resiliencies cited by Sybil Wolin, Ph.D., and Stephen Wolin, M.D., who study those who have thrived after horrible childhoods. Being connected to other people. If you read the Rock Revolution booklet later on when you go out of here or put one in your pocket and take it home, you will find that one of the primary reasons we started this church, The Rock, was so that young people who feel disenfranchised by society, by the institutions like the family, school, politics, whatever, the church, could find a place where they could connect and be loved and be supported and where they could be helped to overcome the obstacles and the challenges that have been put in their ways. 
That's part of what this church is all about. A place for you to find connections. A place to be accepted. Whether you have a tattoo or not. Whether you've got 22 rings in your face or not. That's really up to you. What we care about is what's on the inside of you. What we care about is helping you deal with life as it gets thrown at you. And I'll tell you what. Life is the toughest test in our... Life is a lot more difficult than school, than a game. Maybe it's health issues you're dealing with. Maybe it's relationship issues you're dealing with. Maybe there's things from the past that you're dealing with. Maybe there's things in the present that you're dealing with. Or there's going to be things tomorrow or next week you're going to deal with. But the first skill that you've got to develop is being connected to good people. Now, there are four kinds of people that you need to have in your life. All right, And I'm going to go over these four types of people with you. This isn't super complicated, but I want you to listen carefully. Because these four different types of people, I want you to evaluate as we go along, do I have these kinds of individuals in my life? And if not, how can I get them? All right? Positive and meaningful relationships with other people is the first resilient skill. The book of Proverbs tells us this. He who walks with wise men, with wise people, will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, the Bible goes into great detail on what a fool is. And I hate to tell you this, but all people, myself included, all of us, we have foolishness in us. It's only as we grow, it's only as we grow in God that we're able to eradicate foolishness and grow in wisdom. But the fact of the matter is, is that many of us grew up in very foolish families where a lot of very foolish and crazy things happen. And I know Greg was talking with you last week about healing on the inside. I know I received many calls as I received email as well of people. Mark, how do I overcome the hurts and the difficulties from my past? This is how. This is what I want to talk with you about during the next four weeks. This is one of, one of the relevancies of this series is how you can deal with that. Another thing that many of you don't realize um, is that many of you were not simply given, not only were you raised maybe in abusive environments, some of you have that. Might have been emotional, might have been physical, might have been both. But some of you have been immersed in a situation where you were raised in a very immature way. You were not given emotional depth. You were not given emotional intelligence. Some of the smartest people I know, they excel academically. They know nothing relationally. They know nothing emotionally. Some of you, maybe, you have the brains, you had athleticism, but you have no idea how to deal with real issues in life, like discipline, getting yourself out of bed every day, going to work, dealing with crummy, rotten people that the world is full of. How to stick your nose to the grindstone and keep going when the going gets tough. And how to stay disciplined with your money. And because no one ever taught you that, you're going to have problems. Now, let me get into these positive people. First of all, I have found, and I'd be glad to debate you with this if you'd like later. But it's been my experience the last 24 years that the best people that you can find are those who love God and are trying to follow His ways. Hands down. It has been my privilege for the last 24 years to be involved with some of the finest people I know. And I know a lot of people. I travel to different parts of the world and I travel all over the United States and I know a whole lot of people. And I observe people. 
Part of what I do in my job is I observe people's behavior. I observe their attitudes. I observe how certain attitudes affect their life, affect their moods, affect their choices, how their choices affect their life. The best people you're going to find are those who genuinely love God and are trying to follow His ways. Do you know why why I make that statement? Because any other kind of a person is an F-O-O-L. Any other person who is not trying to follow God and follow God's ways is a fool. And if you hang around a fool, guess what? Foolishness is really contagious. It's really contagious. If I can just go off on a tangent for a moment, this is the number one problem in the public school system today. The problem in America in the school system is not the teachers. Many of the teachers genuinely care about the children and the job they're trying to do. It's not the principal. And you know what else? It isn't the money. The problem is you got about a thousand little morons under the same roof. A thousand little fools who get together and they piranicize each other. And today, we ask the teacher to be doctor, psychologist, social worker, self-esteem builder, mommy, daddy, and everything else because moms and dads are trashed in their lives. And that's the problem. And folly rubs off. I should have you sometime just sit down and talk to the high school students that I talk to or the junior high students that I talk to or the parents that I talk to and find out just what kind of crap gets talked about in the hallways of the average school in the city. The kind of things that happen to other young people that, of course, adults and teachers never know anything about. I mean, my gosh, where are, where are, where are administrators' heads when all of a sudden these two kids in Columbine kill people Nobody saw them being... I'm not saying they were never justified to do what they did. But don't tell me nobody ever saw them being ridiculed. That's a bunch of crap. And so what happens is folly rubs off. And you hang around a fool long enough and you become a fool. And let me tell you something. You will pay the price for being a fool. You'll have a difficult life, a very difficult life. The Bible says, in fact, that a fool's life is like a hedge of thorns. But the path of the righteous is like a smooth highway. When you were a kid, did you ever go running through a field, or through a vacant lot, run through a bunch of brush and get caught in raspberry bushes? Did you ever have that happen to you? With shorts on? <clears throat> it hurts. Or did you ever run through and you get those little barb things that stick on you? The guy who invented Velcro. That's how he invented Velcro. And they get caught all over you. Let me tell you, would you rather run there? Or would you rather just run down a sidewalk or a clear little path? That's how the Bible describes life feels when you're a fool. When you're a fool, you're always hitting your head against the wall. But the problem with a fool is it's too arrogant to realize their face is all bloody. It's kind of like the king that didn't have any clothes on. He didn't know he's really naked. So you've got, first of all, to get some positive people in your life. First kind of person is build friendships involving people you can look up to, who you see as positive mentors and influencers in your life. You must <clears throat> have relationships, either intimate relationships, where you can hang out with a person, or someone from a distance who you can look at and you can emulate what you see in their life, their values, the kind of decisions they make. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's their work ethic. <clears throat> You've got to have that kind of person. 
This is what Tom Osborne was for many young men at Nebraska for years and years and years. He was a mentor for young men who didn't have often a father or someone to look up to that you can imprint upon, that you can learn, you can look up to them. Now, believe it or not, I hope you believe this because it's true, I have mentors and influencers in my life, particularly two men, that over the years I've watched their lives, I've watched their family. They both have eight children. Figure if they have eight, I could make it with four. I watched how they raised those children. I was around them before mine were born. I watched how they trained their children. I watched how how well-behaved, well-mannered their children were. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have children like that. And as I read my Bible, and as I saw these guys are doing what the Bible says, and as I talked, and as I saw them interact with their children, I said, I can do that. I can do that. My wife was the same. She would meant to see their wives. She would watch them. We didn't have hundreds of hours with them. We didn't get to go out to eat with them and hang out with them. But the times we did, I always observed. I was all life was always a learning process for me. Because you know, my own family, my own family had some good things, but it also had some bad things. And I look back and being the oldest of six, and I thought to myself, I'll tell you what, if I had kids like me, I'm gonna die early. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, just for a moment. I know you're a wonderful person and all that, but can you just step out of yourself for a minute and ask yourself the question, do I want to have kids like me? Or maybe like you were a year ago, or maybe like you were two years ago, or maybe like you are right now. To some of you, the answer may be a resounding, oh my gosh, that just scared the crap out of me. (laughs) Don't say it like that, see? Because you know what the Bible, the Bible says a disciple when they're fully trained will be like their teacher. So here's what it means. Unless you get retaught and you change, your kids are going to be just like you and worse. Okay? They're going to be just like you and worse. But there's other things in your life as well. So you've got to find someone in your life who you can just sort of, not, not in an unhealthy emotional way. Okay? But who you can sort of cling on to their life. You'll never find a perfect person. Even the guys that I have been mentors to me, they're not perfect people. They've made mistakes. I've learned from their mistakes. I also, I'll tell you what, I have people in my life, my father's one of them, who's a mentor for all the wrong things. And I look back and say, I'm definitely not going there. And so I try to take all the negatives in my life and I use them as a, as a positive. I have in my life what I call positive positives and positive negatives. Okay? But everything's positive. First of all, the positive positives are the good, hopeful, expectant things that I know God has promised me they're going to happen and I can hope for them. The positive negatives, they're the things that scare the heck out of me. There's a few things I'm genuinely afraid of. Genuinely afraid of. The first is complacency. We live, in my opinion, in the most lethargic pathetic, apathetic, complacent nation on the planet Earth. Where where people just, you know, today, I read recently, the average allowance for young people in 1999 was between $25 and $50 a week. And they did nothing for it. That's research. That's what teens are telling the researchers. So what's happened? Moms and dads have forgotten that the single greatest attribute And gift that you can give to your child is a work ethic and the value of work. 
Nothing's going to be given to you on a silver platter. But moms and dads are lazy because their kids run their lives. They don't run their lives. And so it's just easy to reach in the pocket of mom and dad, double careers, double income. Here's 50 bucks. Shut up and get out of my face. And so we got a, we got a generation coming up of millions and millions of young people that quite honestly have no character. Characters only built in the crucible of difficulty. Hardships. When you have to struggle. You have to learn to work. Doesn't mean there can't be rewards. And one of the reasons, and, and sociologists and psychologists are discovering this, but the Bible's always said this. <clears throat> one of the primary reasons young people do not have self-esteem today is not because they weren't loved. Many young people say they've been told they're loved more than anyone can grasp. In fact, they find that many prisoners have a very great healthy self-esteem. Murderers, rapists, kidnappers think quite highly of themselves. That's not the issue. You know where real healthy self-esteem comes? When you can look back at your life and, know, and go, you know what? I can get myself out of bed. I've accomplished something. I work hard. And I have some things in my life to be proud of. Not in an arrogant way where you think, oh, you're, you're God's gift to creation. But where you know, I've disciplined, I've worked hard, and I've achieved things, and I will keep going. Second, okay, it, well, let me finish that thought. And so, with my father, okay, the, the positive negative is that I'm very afraid to become like him. My father started out in, in our family as a fantastic father. I, I mean, really, literally, in the first 11 years, I had the dream father. A lot better than Ward Cleaver. My father was tough. He was strong. He was a boxer. He was a welder. He was a man's man, but he was extremely tender. He hugged my mom all the time. He hugged us kids. Even when he got older and he drifted, he'd hug me, kiss me, say, Mark, I love you. Mark, you can do anything you set your mind to. You can, he was always supportive. He was always encouraging to all the kids. He was a very God-fearing man. Really loved the Lord. Give you the shirt off his back. He worked hard. But oh, he loved. And he feared God. And I wanted to be just like him. Then about 11, 12 years old, my dad, for whatever reasons, he got bitter. He didn't see it at first. He started, to, he took the sales job and he was gone about five nights a week. He'd leave me and all the five others home and my mom for a week. And he'd go out traveling. Well, he always used to take his Bible. He always read his Bible. Then, then at the end of a couple months, I noticed one day my dad was headed out to the car and I saw his Bible sitting on the desk. Never forgot his Bible. I grabbed it and I ran out and said, hey, dad, you know, you forgot your Bible. So that's okay, Mark. You know, I'm not going to take it this trip. I thought that was kind of strange. End of the week, my dad came home, and I, he always had the coolest stuff. My dad had this big old desk, and he, he had this gorgeous, rough leather briefcase, and so I always liked to look at his stuff. And I opened it up, and inside was a book this thick called The Philosophers of the World. Nietzsche, Voltaire, Marx, Hitler. Over 2,000 pages. And I opened it up and began to see underlines. And that was the book my father started to take with him every week on his trip. And by the time I was 15 or 16 years old, my dad began to sit at the kitchen table and espouse Marxism. My father became a racist. Never was a racist before. He fought in Korea. 
My father had a genuine love for Hispanic, African American, Asian, all kinds of people. In fact, he used to take in little orphan Korean kids when he was in Korea. And all of a sudden, this stuff polluted my father and my mother, who was never, could never verbally combat my father, would get up from the table, she's about five foot two, as sweet as the day is long, in tears and go back to her room crying because this man was perverting her kids. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten what I could become if I let my walk with God slip. I've never forgotten that I could lose my family like my father did, who one day sat around in his self-pity, this hard-working man decided, I don't want to work anymore, and would just sit in the living room and stare out the window. He used to run every day. He used to fight every day. He used to work out every day. Pretty soon he just let his beard grow. He didn't care anymore. He didn't care about other human beings because he started feeding on the trash of these men. And it hollowed him out. And one day, with all my siblings watching, he walked out, put stuff in his pickup, didn't even look up, drove off, never came back, deserted my mom, deserted my brothers and sisters, never sent a dime home. And a month later, my mom, the sheriff, show up at her door and say, you got to get out of the house. She never knew it was even coming. Do you know what else? I have my mother. See, I have my mother. And my mother, she's never doubted God. My mother has never been past the third or fourth grade. Had never worked outside the home. 25, 26 years of taking care of this family. Trusted God. She didn't have a nervous breakdown. She didn't fall apart. When she found out my father had taken out a second mortgage on the house, she lost the house, she made do. She got a little duplex. God provided a job at the bank. And my mom's still going strong today. My dad, his life's going in the tank. As he's been through now, his fourth or fifth woman. And I never forget that picture. And believe me, it's one of the most positive things in my life because I'm not going there and it scares me. What pride and complacency can do in your life. Number two, build friendships with people who share your same goals and values. It's going to be very unproductive for you to hang around with people who are trying to live for the opposite things you desire. You've got to surround yourself with healthy people, with people who want the same things in life, who want to grow, who want to develop their spirituality, who want to be a loving person, who want to get better, not who are bitter. You hang around bitter people and you will become bitter. And yes, this may mean that you have to walk away from the negative individuals in your life. Third thing is you've got to build friendships with people who can encourage you and are positive to be around. I've got to tell you, over the years, I have been so blessed to have been surrounded with loving, encouraging people. Greg Larson is one of them. Greg and I, we've been together for almost 11 years now. And we've been close friends throughout those years. And many a time, he and I have gone off together to a park, man to man, and we've shared the struggles of life we're having, and we've prayed together, and we've shed some tears together. Many times, we've shared the tears for other people and the struggles they're having as we prayed for others. And I could talk about Doug Patterson and John Van Dyke and Brent, and I could talk about Mary, and I could talk about... Suzanne and Nikki and Julie and Dave and other people who have been in my life who have been there when the chips have been down to say you know what Mark you hang in there we'll get through this I believe in you I believe that God wants to do something great with your life last thing I would ever want any of you to think is I'm a self-made man because I'm not 
I'm not. But at least I was smart enough to realize I needed other people in my life. And as a young person at 19 years old, for the last 24 years of my life, I've surrounded myself with great people. Great people. Who are loving, who can say the hard things to me. Yes, I've had friends who've been able to call me on the carpet and say, Mark, you need to grow in that. You need to stop that. You need to change that. My wife would be one of those people who has been both the encourager and the corrector. The fact of the matter is I would not be here if it was not for Kathy. I would simply not be here. She's the single finest woman I've ever known. And she'd been such a source of strength to me and encouragement to me. That's why I married her, because I needed her in my life. I needed her in my life. Fourth kind of relationship you need is to build your life with people you can share your life with and develop a close friendship with. And these would be people you're actually going to get close to. You're actually going to get close to and you share life together. I'll never forget, some of you don't know Doug Patterson, but sometime I have him come over here so you can meet him. But he's one of our pastors in Plymouth. And Doug is a close friend of mine and, and kind of I, I kind of mentored him, and, but he was a very close friend to me. And I'll never forget when he took off from work and drove all the way to Ohio with me 15 hours to pick up my sister and her three children after she had been going through a series of severe beatings from her husband. And he told her, if you leave me, I'll kill you. And he kept a load of 45 in the house. And I remember, to be real honest, I'll just be real honest. I was afraid to go out there alone. He's very big, very mean. And I thought it might be a little better to have some moral support and have a buddy with me in case we had to literally get her out of there. We tried to be civil with him. He stayed pretty civil. And that night, the kids were so out of control, the thing was so bad that we knew we better drive while these kids are asleep or we will not be able to stand the ride home. And we turned right around and drove all the way back. And he drove most of the way. He's an extraordinary friend. And I have those kinds of people in my life who I've been able to share life. Just last night, in fact, we were out with Doug and Nikki, who I have known, in fact, told them they ought to marry one another. They fell in love. It wasn't really my thing, but I just told them, I think you ought to marry each other. And I've watched their babies be born, and now they got five. They just had twins. They weren't planning on it, but they had twins. And we were sitting out last night, and afterwards, Nikki said, well, we don't have the kids' part. Could we come to your home? Because she used to babysit my kids, see? She's like an older sister. We just sat in the living room laughing and talking. She started crying and saying, you know, Mark, it's such a thrill to have been part of this family. And I, you know, felt the same way back. It's been such a thrill to have you be part of my family. That's been one of the secrets in my life is surrounding myself with tremendous people. The best people I've ever found is by being involved in a church like The Rock. This is one of the reasons I want you to know we started The Rock. Real quickly, I want to just give you some basic steps you can take and then we'll close. To develop this in your life. First of all, get involved in the rock. Or some other church of your choice. If you find one that you think is better for your needs, that's fine. Get involved in a church. Get really involved. Get involved with the people. Get involved laboring together work with them. Get involved rubbing shoulders with them. Ask them to pray for you. Share your lives with one another. Practically how you do that is get involved in a small group. We have a lot of small groups here. For the last 24 years of my life, I have been involved in small groups. Groups that meet in homes almost every week or every other week to pray together, to laugh together, to cry together, to party together, to watch games together, do whatever. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'll tell you real honestly. The people in my life, in the rock or in evergreen, are my family. I guess I should just be frank about it. 
They are my family. My real family is not my family. They are my family. Don't take me wrong. I send money to my sister every month to help her out. I call my brothers as often as I can. They call me. But the bottom line is, if I can be honest, they're going in completely different directions with their lives than I am. They do not want what I want in life. Let me put it a different way. They do not want what God would want us to want in life. So, I don't treat them with disdain. And I don't treat them with disrespect. And I do my best to go to the family reunions. What I'm saying is, with all that being said, this is my family. And people like you men and women have been my real family for the last 24 years. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, disengage from damaging and negative relationships. You've got to disengage from them. You've got to. You've got to. I'm, in fact, can I just share something with you real quick? I'm not saying these things like, Mark, you know, how does he know all this stuff? One, I know it because I've seen it in life and I've experienced it too. Psychologists would tell you this. Secular psychologists would tell you this. People who study human behavior, they will tell you. You know what survivors do? Survivors who come from very difficult homes is they disengage from the negative relationships. Many years ago, I had a woman call me on the phone. She's a mother. She's got four children. But her and her husband, they're having a very difficult time in their lives. They really wanted to follow God. They really wanted to have a neat family. And they were trying really hard. But this woman was constantly, emotionally, just in chaos. So one day I asked her. She called and she was in tears. I said, what, what, what puts you over the edge like this? And she said, well, I guess I never have told you the story, have I? I said, no. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to help, but I, I need more information. She said, well, Mark, my, uh, my mother lives in the city. She started to tell me about her growing up, and it was one of the saddest stories that I've ever heard. And she said, Mark, everything will be fine. It's just that my mother calls two times every day. And as soon as I pick up the phone, she starts yelling and swearing at me and telling me how what a pathetic daughter I am. I'm trying to be a good Christian person, and, you know, I, I feel bad if I say something back to her or hang up, so I just, usually I just listen. And I said to her, you know, inside I was going, oh my gosh, I don't believe this. I said, they called her by her name, I said, sis, I said, listen, it's not unchristian to hang up the phone. I said, you don't ever have to go through that again. I say, here, what do you do? Next time she calls, you interrupt the conversation. Say, Mom, you listen to me. I have something very important to tell you. And if she keeps talking, say it again. If she keeps talking and you say it again and she won't shut up, hang up. That will get her attention. Next time she calls back, you say, Mom, don't say a word. Listen to me very carefully. I do not deserve and I will not put up with this the rest of my life. You do not have permission to call me and denigrate me and denigrate my husband and denigrate my children. If you want a relationship with me, you will speak to me in a civil manner. And if you cannot, do not call me again. You see, because I, this woman also needed to assert herself. She was so used to being a doormat. She had so misinterpreted scripture about her life that she was used to being a doormat. She almost fell off her chair. She, me. she said, are you serious? I could do that? I said, of course you could do that. You must do that or you're going to lose your life. I said, and then secondly... If she ever calls up and she, and, and she reverts back to that, just hang up the phone. And thirdly, if you don't want to talk to her every day, tell her, you know what, Mom? You can call once every two weeks. Now, I am not joking with you when I say 
If you have in your life, whether it's family or other individuals in your life. Now, some of you may still be living at home and you can't disengage. But here's the secret. You're going to have to learn how to compartmentalize things and realize that this. Unless you're stealing from your parents and you're a little druggy and you're breaking every rule they tell you. Let me tell you something. You really aren't the problem. If you've got a parent, a mother, father in your life who constantly rages on you or goes off on you, let me tell you something. They have the problem, not you. And, and if, you, if you don't have a choice and you're still there at the home, you do the most God-honoring thing you can do and you try to show respect, try to serve, clean up after yourself because you're living there, maybe rent-free. So do your very best to pull your end, but do not succumb to the trash that they give to you. And do not allow yourself to be browbeat and go down the toilet with them. Simply learn to hold your tongue and walk away. Walk away. If you're at a point in your life and you're at the age where you can and you have a job and you have other things, then I would graciously encourage you to move into a different situation, often that will relieve the tension that a parent feels many times they do not how to know how to deal with you. Maybe you've got a friend, maybe you've got a roommate, maybe you've got a job situation where you are consistently browbeat all the time. You make the most of it, but let me tell you something. If it's getting to you, okay, and if you ever want advice, you call Greg and I. I mean this, because this is a lot what we do. We deal with this stuff I've been dealing with for 15 years, for a living. There are lots of jobs out there, young person. Let me tell you something. You've got skills and you have abilities and there are lots of jobs. And if you're in a situation, now I'm not talking about somebody who gets angry once in a while at you. I'm talking about everyday kind of stuff and you're getting put down and you're getting drugged through the mud and you're getting lied about. You're not a slave. We don't live in ancient times where you were bought and sold. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Call AccuStaff. Call pro staff, look in the paper, and find yourself a new and better situation. Empower yourself. Take action. Take action. Let's pray.